Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of tongues, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining in detail from Acts chapter 2 that tongues is very well defined. I was explaining that the subject of tongues or the gift of languages, as it would be more appropriately translated in our language for today, that the gift of languages was definitely a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God, and yet it was a gift that allowed for the clear communication of the truths of our God from one person to another that in the example of Acts chapter 2, by the testimony that we have found right here in Acts chapter 2, we can see that there was absolutely no confusion about what was being said and about what was being heard, that those who were speaking knew exactly what they were saying, and those who were hearing knew exactly what they were hearing. There was absolutely no confusion whatsoever taking place during the manifestation of this gift in terms of clear communication. There was clear communication that was taking place, and I sincerely believe that the gift was a manifestation of our God for the purpose of validating what was being said, what was being conveyed. If we were to look at it from that point of view in comparison to what we see modernly expressed today, if we were to compare the two, What we see today is, in general, total absolute confusion. The person who is speaking normally has no idea what they are saying. The person who is hearing normally has no idea what the other person is saying. There is no clear communication taking place in many of these cases. I have heard that there have been some occasions where there was clear communication occurring, or in other occasions there was the appearance that clear communication was occurring, but still with some degree of uncertainty. But understand that the modern expression of tongues that many people are suggesting is the true gift of tongues does not correlate at all with respect to Acts chapter 2. Now, because it does not correlate with Acts chapter 2 does not mean that it is invalid. I am certainly willing to recognize the possibility that it truly is a manifestation of God. But to refer to Acts chapter 2 as the justification for what we are seeing or what it is that we are experiencing, I believe is totally wrong. I believe that it definitely does not correlate to what we see today. And to try to make a correlation between the two ends up taking away from the significance of what we do have described here in Acts chapter 2. The great significance of what we have described here is that our God is validating in a clear and concise way his truth to others, and it is being conveyed through the manifestation of the gift of languages so that there is no confusion between what is being said and what is being heard to reunify the Jew and the Gentile to become one in Christ, to become the new creation, the new man 
in Christ Jesus right here and right now at this moment, both Jews and proselytes, as is described in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, that there were Jews and proselytes, people coming together. This is the wonderful opportunity for the new man, the new creation under the Messiah, the body of Christ as a whole, to be initiated, to begin And the unification of the two initially starts right here and will continue for thousands of years and still continues on to this day. And so my point is very simple, and that is that the premise that we have described in Acts chapter 2 is that the gift of languages is clear communication between the speaker and the hearer. There is no doubt whatsoever that that is the case. If you have any doubts, all you need to do is read in this chapter, as I did in the first broadcast, And you can see the testimony of the people there, that they were hearing the wonderful works of God in their own languages. And that meant that there were multiple people there hearing in their own individual language simultaneously, while another person was speaking in their own language. That was the miracle of God. To consider anything else is to completely take away from what is being said here. Now, if we were to consider this premise, we should go through the rest of the scriptures, especially as described in Acts, we should go through them to see what we might understand about what is being presented during the other occasions when the gift of tongues seems to be portrayed. For example, consider Acts chapter 10 between verses 44 and 48. This is Acts chapter 10 beginning in verse 44 where it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. That was the event that occurred. Now, this is a significant event. This was a major transition in the history of the church because this was the first time that a Gentile was officially recognized as being saved while being a Gentile. You see, in Acts chapter 2, what we have is we have Jews and proselytes. We have people who were born Jewish and we have people who were converted to Judaism. Those were Gentiles who were converted to Judaism, and the process of converting to Judaism was very simple. A person would declare and dedicate their lives to obey the Mosaic Law. That was a very important part of their conversion process. They would promise that they would go to Jerusalem to obey the feasts and festivals when they were required to be held. That was definitely part of the law. They would also vow to go and present a sacrifice at the temple. That was also part of the law. In addition to that, they would go through ritual immersion, the ritual immersion of baptism, which was originally established by the Pharisees for this purpose, for the purpose of converting a Gentile to Judaism. My series on baptism, the series of programs that I did on baptism, is what I would like to refer you to on this subject. At this moment, I'm just explaining the process of conversion so that you can distinguish between the proselytes and the Gentiles. And also see in this passage in Acts chapter 10, especially in verse 47 and 48, that Peter baptized them in response to their being saved. And I believe this was to ensure that they were properly converted to Judaism because of the uncertainty as to whether or not they could even be saved. You see, that's what was said here, is that they were amazed that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. 
in verse 45, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Well, they weren't astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on a person. They were astonished because it was poured out on a Gentile. That was the main event that was happening here in Acts chapter 10, and also as you continue to read into Acts chapter 11, is the revelation to the church, the revelation that a Gentile could actually be saved without first becoming a Jew. And it was validated by God himself by presenting the manifestation of the gift of tongues so that the witness of this gift would validate to those who were seeing and hearing that in fact a Gentile could truly be saved before first becoming a Jew. Now if we were to correlate this with Acts chapter 2, we could easily assume what was taking place. Peter was most likely speaking in Aramaic. That would be the most natural language for him to speak based on the culture of Israel at that time era. Cornelius, on the other hand, would quite likely be speaking in Greek because he was a Gentile. We can certainly assume that he was speaking in Greek. And so if I was to explain the events as they would be described correlating with Acts chapter 2, I could very easily see Peter speaking with Cornelius through a translator at first or Cornelius speaking to Peter through a translator at first. And then when Cornelius believes the gospel and is saved through the restoration of the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit reveals the reality that the Gentile has been saved by revealing to Peter specifically what Cornelius is saying as he is speaking in Greek, or the other way around, by revealing to Cornelius specifically what Peter is saying by translating from Aramaic to the language that Cornelius knew. Either that, or they were speaking in Greek at first, and then Peter understands him in Aramaic, knowing that Cornelius is not speaking in Aramaic, or Cornelius is understanding Peter in Greek, while knowing that Peter is speaking to him in Aramaic. That would be a very good correlation with Acts chapter 2. And so, as we read this passage in Scripture at the end of Acts chapter 10, we should interpret it on the basis of what we see clearly described in Acts chapter 2. And if we do, then we should see that there is no confusion taking place in the midst of the communication that is being described here. Another example of this is found in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, we have Paul coming to the region of Ephesus, where Apollos had been teaching the people there, and Paul came to present the fullness of the gospel, which was beyond just the baptism of John, but was in reference mainly to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, as I was describing earlier, baptism was established by the Pharisees for the purpose of converting a Gentile to Judaism. John made use of this as he was sent by God to baptize people, and when he was baptizing, he was mainly baptizing Jews, which was a tremendous statement when you consider why it was instituted. It was instituted to convert a Gentile to Judaism. To suggest that a Jew would need to be baptized is to suggest that a Jew is just as unclean or is as defiled or is as sinful as a Gentile, which was considered to be unacceptable according to the religious culture of that time era, the Pharisees, they sincerely believed that if you were born Jewish, that you had a place in the kingdom of God and had no need to repent or turn away from your sins, at least not in that context, because your salvation was determined by your heritage, by your being a child of Abraham. 
But what John was clearly presenting was that a Jew was just as unclean as a Gentile and needed to repent and turn to God and live in obedience to the law. That was the message that he was conveying, an initial message to lay the groundwork for what the Messiah would present and for what the Messiah would do. And so when Paul arrives in Ephesus, he finds a group of people who heard about the baptism of John and that Jesus was the Messiah, but they had no idea about the baptism that the Messiah actually came to present, that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is to restore the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam, and it is through that that we are saved. The manifestations from there are not the issue. The issue is that we receive the free gift of the life of God that will remain within us eternally because there is no sin that will cause that life to leave. Consider Acts chapter 19 beginning in verse 1. This is Acts chapter 19 beginning in verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. And again, if we were to refer to the passages in Acts that establish the definition of the gift of tongues, that they spoke in tongues, or more specifically, spoken languages, then this would mean that those in Ephesus would speak in a language that Paul would understand that was different from what they were speaking, or the other way around, that Paul would be speaking in a language that they would subsequently understand in a different language that was different from what he was speaking. Either way, we don't really know specifically what was taking place. We just have enough information to show that our God was validating the truth to them about the significance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the restoration of the Holy Spirit, and he was using the gift of tongues in order to exaggerate this point and in order to reveal that this point is truly important, and he did it to 12 people. That was a major event in the history of the church. From this point on in Acts, the gift of tongues is just simply not mentioned. There's really no need to mention it. We have specific occasions, specific events, where a specific truth by our God is validated for the purpose of establishing the church with the basic foundation of the restoration of the life of God that had been lost in Adam. There are some passages in the letters that Paul wrote that we can refer to also when considering this gift of tongues or the gift of languages, and it's important to pursue these and to look at these because, again, as I described in a previous broadcast, the modern expression of tongues is an expression of confusion. There is no clear communication that is being conveyed in the midst of this manifestation that many people believe is of God. There is no clear communication taking place. And so when we refer to the scriptures and say that this is the tongues in the scriptures, then there should be some correlation. And what I am describing is that there is no correlation, absolutely no correlation whatsoever so far with regards to the verses that I have explored. 
So let's continue on and explore some other verses. One of the very popular doctrines in the modern expression of what tongues is, is to suggest that we have a prayer language, that we have this specific language that allows us or enables us to pray to our God in a way that he understands in a way that no one else will be able to understand, perhaps to prevent the satanic spirits from intercepting or interfering with our prayers. There is also the passage in scriptures that has been clearly revealed that we do not know how to pray how we ought to pray. However, the Holy Spirit will pray on our behalf those things that are important to God. People will look at that and say, well, that must mean that I don't know what words to use, and so the Holy Spirit will use words for me, and I may have no idea what I am saying, but that's okay because this is something that God is praying to himself about. That's what people believe. That is what many people believe. But the passage in scriptures that many people normally turn to in order to justify their perception of tongues in the context of prayer is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a very interesting passage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, we have a suggestion that a person could speak in languages that they do not know. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, We have an example that many people refer to, or a passage in scriptures that many people refer to, suggesting that this explains a prayer language, or a language that we do not know that we are praying to God. And this is the passage that people normally refer to when considering this. Beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Many people look at this and say, well, you see, we could speak with the tongues of men or of angels. And so if I don't understand what I am saying, then this probably means that the Holy Spirit is working within me to speak some kind of angelic language of some kind. That's what many people sincerely believe. But we should certainly read the following verses in this section, and so we can see the greater context of what Paul is truly conveying. Because when we do this, I think you will see that there is a different understanding that a person can see if you look at this within its proper context. Consider first reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Again, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Understand that the subject, what he is presenting here, is not the subject of tongues of men or of angels. The subject that he is presenting is the subject of love. And he follows it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, with a very profound definition of love that we certainly should not ignore. This is considered to be the love chapter, and whenever we want to know what love is or what love is about, we should always start by referring to this passage, because this is a very good definition of the agape love of God. That is the context of these four verses. The context of this is not to focus on angelic languages. The context is to focus on the subject of love. Did Paul say that he spoke with angelic languages? He didn't say that he spoke with angelic languages. He's using an editorial expression in order to exaggerate another point, and that point is the point or the subject of love. 
For example, if you were to look in verse 3, he says, And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Did he say that he spoke with the tongues of angels? Not really. Not any more than he said that he was a burn victim. If you're going to suggest that this means he absolutely spoke with the tongues of angels, you have to also say that he was absolutely a burn victim. He gave his body to be burned on behalf of others. You can't just pick and choose things. You have to identify the whole passage and see the whole context of what is being conveyed here. The purpose for why he mentions a language of angels is only to make the editorial exaggeration that if he does not have love, then he is absolutely nothing. In fact, in verse 1, he clearly says that even though you may speak with the languages of men or angels and have not love, then you are a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. That certainly is not an expression of quality or love or a manifestation that would necessarily be of God. Understand that this is not to say that there are angelic languages that we are going to speak in or that we can speak in. We might very well have an opportunity to speak in an angelic language. I understand that. I recognize that. You might learn a language of angels. I I fully understand and recognize that that could possibly occur. However, I would not refer to this verse in order to try to assert that point, because the purpose of his saying this is not to suggest that we speak in some angelic language. It is only to suggest that we really need to experience the love of God in our life, and that if that is not being reflected off of us, then we might as well be lost. We might as well be lost and go to hell, because it won't matter, because these things are not the important issue. Many people are considering this to be the primary issue, whether or not you speak in one language or another, and yet this has absolutely nothing to do with the issues at hand. Are you being loved by your God? Are you resting and trusting in the absolute, total, unconditional love that he has for you? Are you experiencing the benefit of that, and are you now walking in your daily life in response to that truth by engaging this world with the love that you have received from your God? If you are, then this will be manifested to others as you present to others the love that you have received from your God to others in the midst of sin. That will be the greatest opportunity for the revelation of your God to be revealed in the world around you, in the lives of people that are around you. That's the important thing. Communication between people is extremely insignificant in comparison with the manifestation of the living God within and through a person. And I'm not referring to the manifestation of some gift that we think is being revealed by our God in order to give us the ability to have some kind of spiritual experience of some kind. That is not what I am referring to. I am referring to the quality of character that is revealed and shown within a person independent of the language that they are using in order to interact with others who are around them. That is something that is very different, and I have found that it is definitely neglected. It is definitely ignored by many people who are so consumed and focused on what gifts they may have or may not have, or what kind of experience they may have or not have. They have completely lost sight of the important fundamental issues of the relationship that they experience with their Creator outside of these experiences, but inside them, inside within the very deepest part of their being, as they have a clear understanding through clear communication between them and their God and to others. 
That is an important issue that I think is very much ignored in most circles of influence that believe in this obscure concept of tongues that I definitely do not see in the scriptures up to this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When a person experiences a real spiritual experience, whether it is of God or not, and I certainly do not believe that this particular experience, as it is referred to as a spiritual experience, is of God. When a person experiences this, however, and they sincerely believe that it is of God, that it is a powerful manifestation of God in their life, I sincerely believe that this can distract a person from what the Lord their God truly wants to give them. Because many people seem to get very focused on the manifestation. They really believe that their connectivity with God, that their identity as a person, that their relationship with their God depends on and is strongly influenced by this powerful manifestation of the power of God in their lives. And I really believe that in doing that, they completely lose sight of what the Lord their God has truly made available for them. Because the power of God is not in the manifestation of overcoming us and interfering with our ability to speak, to speak within and through us in a way that we don't even understand or anybody else seems to understand. That is not the true power that our God has given to us. The true power that our God has presented to us is his very being that he has given to us that fulfills the very deepest needs that we have as a person. We have specific needs as people, his creation as his creation, and our needs can only be met by him. They can only be met by his relating to us a person within a person, a person relating to another person. It is only through that direct relationship with our creator that we experience our God and experience the fulfillment that he designed us for. It is only then that we experience the very power of God not by his supposed ability to overcome us and interfere with our flesh to the extent that we don't know what we're saying anymore, but the power of God that transforms who we are as a person by what he gives to us, what he gives of himself, what he gives in terms of his love and his acceptance and his meaning and purpose, the security that we experience in knowing that we are a child of his and the respect that we receive as a creation that he has made. It is in this way that we experience the true power of God. And when we focus on other things that may or may not have anything to do with our relationship with God, I certainly do not believe that these are manifestations of God. When we focus on these things, it will distract us. It can very easily distract us from what he has given to us and our resting in what we have already received from our Creator. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,